Welcome to No Ordinary, Ordinary women. women, the podcast where two ordinary broads talk about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and, and the, the bad shit crazy. Hi, Lynn. Hey, bros. Are you excited for episode 12? Can you believe we have more than 10 episodes? I know. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's crazy. crazy. I like... I mean, I knew that we would stick with it and do that stuff, but I also was, do you mind, Rose? We're trying to record here. Rose, shut up. <laughs> Sorry, I keep coughing. Great. Oh, my God. That's my nanny would say, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, like I knew that we would, like in the back of my mind, I knew we succeed. But like I, I never even like pictured 10 episodes. I Isn't know, that funny? Like I didn't crazy. think that far ahead. But yeah, I'm pretty excited. I've and, been thinking up to like 300 episodes. And I've been getting so many, like so much feedback um, like from people like, oh my gosh, we love it. My mom, who's embarrassed to share. <laughs> 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 She's embarrassed to share her podcast because we curse. Um, but um, she actually, a, a friend of hers um, just told her she absolutely loves it. So that just makes oh, my heart so happy. Nice. Yeah, I forgot her name. Eileen. Yeah, Eileen. Don't say her last name. I can't remember. I can't remember her last name. Anyway, I can't remember it anyway, but she's a friend of my mom's. Oh, (laughs) she does pottery with my mom. So hi, Eileen. Oh, hi, Eileen. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so the the amount of feedback I've gotten is really super fun. Um, I've gotten no feedback. Oh, no, I have actually. Yeah, a couple of my friends tell me that they're listening and that they love it so far. Okay, one of my friends. <laughs> my one friend. My one friend told me. <laughs> I have, um, so I had to do a, they're trying to like break down silos at my work and like everybody, you know, like tell each other what they do and get to know each other. So people will be more open to like helping other people and yeah, being, yeah, yeah. feeling comfortable intermingling like information throughout departments, which I feel like we've needed to do. So I think it's a great thing. So we did a little, um, get together with another team and I started out by saying that I do a podcast and the people were like super like what's the name and I could see people grabbing their pencil it was a it was a virtual like it was a zoom one or Microsoft Teams and so people were grabbing their pencil like what's the name of it and I was like okay so I just need to warn you we curse a little bit We're a little inappropriate at times. Yeah. My, Mostly Lynn. My business has a lot to do with ethics, so I just wanted to give that disclaimer. <laughs> so I didn't want them to think like, uh, yeah, it's definitely not on finance or any kind of ethics or anything like that. But um, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So they, a couple of them were really excited about listening. It makes me a little nervous because work, you know, it's I a know. Big... I finally told a couple people at work Oh, did too. you? Yeah. Oh, I'm proud of you. You talk they to don't people listen at work. To, they don't listen to um, podcasts. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, the one does... Um, I'm not sure she's listening, though. Oh, that's but funny. Well, hi, if you are. People. Yeah. Yeah, so it's fun. I mean, we were definitely getting good feedback, and um, my kids are still my big supporters. They're always the first one to like my stuff on Instagram, which makes my heart Aww. happy, the stuff on our page. So, so sweet. Yeah, Caitlin was the first one today to like. And then Casey was catching up because um, she hasn't listened at all. But it, I'm kidding. But she was <laughs> catching up the other day, and she said, I was laughing so hard at you trying to say <laughs> – I'm going to say it. World War Two or one or whatever. You World War One. It was one. Yeah. And I was like, stop I could not try. get it out. It was a, that was like episode. That was early. That was like, I think it was the Georgie episode, actually. It was the Georgie episode because I was talking about where the rafts came from. Oh, yeah, that's right. And we um, said it in a few episodes. Yeah. But oh, my God, it's the hardest word to say, especially if you've had a couple cocktails. And Chris was catching up, too, because he hadn't listened to a couple of the episodes. <clears throat> 
and he was like in the kitchen cooking dinner and all of a sudden he's he says something to me he's like it's blah 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 and i was like what <laughs> he's like in your episode in your um podcast you said you didn't know what something was and he He's telling me, I'm like, okay. <laughs> that was like late. three weeks ago, dude. <laughs> yeah, like three weeks yeah. ago. Um, so, so speaking of cocktails. So, oh, we got a um, good one tonight. I got a good one. Rose said to me, um, have you ever had hot buttered rum? And I was like, no. She's like, we should have it this week. And I looked at the recipe. I'm like, that bitch is crazy. <laughs> There's like a batter that you make and then you heat up water. And then some people say you use apple juice. Other people say Oh my God! Spit to apple to water. Only use apple juice. And then other people say apple juice is too sweet. And then I I must have read, and I'm not joking you, fifteen twenty recipes of hot butter. Oh really? And everyone is different. So finally, I think this one is from. I can tell you actually right now. I found it to be the most consistent one. It's from. Oh my God! I can't. My why am I? I feel like I lost a contact today or something. My eyes are all weird. God darn, it's hot in here today. It is really hot because we're both wearing like big sweaters. Yeah. It's from Holefully.com. Um, it's their hot buttered rum, classic hot buttered rum. And it does use water instead of apple juice. There's a lot of sugar and I cut back the sugar. I read all the comments and I cut back the sugar and I just, but it's. I feel like using apple juice would make you have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, with all that butter. I mean, it's literally <laughs> butter, and, apple butter and a bunch of spices. And a warm drink. And warm drink. And yeah, like I feel like that would go right through us. That might be, <laughs> that might be a problem. <laughs> anyway, God, it's on here. So um, yeah, so hot butter rum. We use Captain Morgan Spice Rum. I made a batter with, um, I did a double batch because it lasts in the fridge for a good long while. And all, you know, the holidays are coming up. Hello. Um, so it's. Um, so you mix butter, brown sugars, um, honey, ground cinnamon, ground nutmeg, fresh ground nutmeg, always use fresh, um, ground cloves, pinch of salt, and vanilla extract. And so you mix all that in a pot and you melt the sugar, get it all melted. Well, actually, You're the, shaking the whole table. The, sorry, sorry. <laughs> the vanilla goes in after it's all heated and melted. And then you add the vanilla extract and I just put it in a jar. And you just take a scoop of it, you drop it in the cup, and you put a little bit of hot water on that, like two-thirds of a cup of hot water, two ounces of rum. And I use Captain Morgan Spice Rum. Hey, hey, Captain. And then <laughs> and then covered it, covered it, covered it with whipped cream. Yeah. Not and just I, added whipped cream, but covered it. And, and then I a put sprinkle. Extra whipped cream. Yeah. Rose likes the white creamy stuff. And then a little <laughs> sprinkle, a little sprinkle of nut, freshly ground nutmeg. So that, oops, sorry, I just sniffed right in the microphone. Oh my that, gosh. Sorry. It's tis the season for snotty nuts. So that is our drink. And we already finished the first one, but we decided to wait until Rose does her story to do the second yeah, one. Yeah, we don't want to get all crazy. So we want to remind you guys uh, when you see our posts on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, please repost them, share them with your friends. Even if you are embarrassed of us. <laughs> we need more ratings and reviews on yes. Apple. We need to scoot up that chart. Yes, Our guys. New Year's goal is to be the number one on the chart. I think you can help us. <laughs> so we just have a few weeks left. <laughs> we just we have three there, guys. We have, we have 11 <laughs> ratings on Apple. We have 11 ratings on Apple. What we'd like to have is 11 million by the end of the month. Do you think you can help <laughs> To our 12 listeners out there. Yeah, to our 12 listeners. So, Anyway, but anyway. it just takes one or two people to share. That's all it takes. 
So it could go viral. You never know who your friends are and your friends, your friends. So, all right, Rose, who are you talking about today? My story is going to be a little short, um, but oh my God, I just sniffed too. That's okay. You're editing. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. (laughs) I'm just going to edit Lynn out of this. Oh, so I did want to tell you the last episode I was talking about Fred Salad. Yes. That's not actually the name of it. Oh, my God. Well, no, so my family calls it Fred Salad. You had me Googling it and everything. I know. What happened was, <laughs> I guess my grandmother was making it one year. Oh, no. This was like 15. No, I think my mom was like 17, and she's like in her 60s now. So my grandmother was making it one year, and my grandfather was like, oh, what are you making? And she's like, I don't know. It doesn't have a name. And he was like, what? What are you talking about? It has to have a name. And she's like, it doesn't have a name. And he's like, everything has to have a name. And my mom was like 17. And she's like, I don't know. Just Let's just call it Fred. And so ever since then, they've called it Fred. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's that's so, so So it was a recipe basically your grandma kind of yeah. made up. And it's like um, ambrosia salad. Right. Is what it is. So it's Cool Whip? It's not Cool Whip. It's, whip, it's um, cream cheese. Oh, I I've think. never had. No. no. It can't cream cheese. I think is- it was cream cheese. I don't what, know. What, did she whip the shit out of it to make it super fluffy? No, I might no, be cream wrong. cheese is I too know. sticky. I wasn't paying attention. <gasps> Rose. I just ate Did something. you not listen to your sister? I mean, she wasn't telling me about it. She was just making it. Okay. Hmm. Anyway, that's my story. And you're sticking to it? And I'm sticking to it. Have you ever heard it. the story about the ham bone no. in the pan? So there's like an old thing where um, the woman cuts... With a, has her husband with a saw cut the like on a big ham, like cut the the big bone off, yeah, and then puts it in the pan and puts it in the oven, and then so her daughter grows up, has a family, and she cuts the bone off the ham, puts it in the oven, whatever, and then her granddaughter does the same thing, cuts the bone, and then so one time the granddaughter's doing it, and her husband's like, "Why do we? Why do we have to cut this? Because they have to use like a saw or whatever." You're shaking the table again. I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to edit out all your nonsense. Okay, sorry. I know you're excited to see me. I am excited to, to see you. <laughs> so the grandmother, so the daughter calls her mom and says, "Why? Why do we cut?" The husband's like, "Why do we have to do this anyway?" And she's like, "I don't know. My mom always did it." And so he was like, "Well, call your mom and ask her why. What, what's the reason for cutting the bone off?" And so the mom. She called the mom, and the mom's like, I don't know, because grandma always did it. So the mom called the grandma, and the grandma said, um, and the grandma said, I don't know, you know, great-grandma always did it. And so they called great-grandma, and they said, so why did did you cut the, always cut the bone off the ham? And she's like, because I didn't have a pan big enough for it to fit in. (laughs) So the whole family had been, like, carried down in the generations and, like, just kept cutting the bone off the ham, and they didn't have to, so... Yeah, I thought that was kind of cute. It's kind of so. like Fred. Yeah, it's like Fred. And some of us great grand or grandchildren don't even know what Fred is. I mean, yeah. telling stories on our podcast. There you go. Stupid. There you go. It's okay. Eh. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you ready? Any warnings with this one? No, this is a good one. Um, oh, good. Okay. It's a little short, so I think Lynn's is going to be longer. A little bit, yeah. Mine's not crazy long, but what? I well, I mean, it's not it crazy long. long, but I mean, you know. Don't I mean, dis- I could just talk on and on and on. Our fans. What? We have a lot of fans wanting. Well, long. you're the one disappointing. I'm not me. Yeah, but I told you to have a long one. It, that's you what she said. <laughs> 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 okay. Anyway, just talk. 
really low. <laughs> yeah. No one will notice that it's short. <laughs> Tell everyone to play it at like half speed, 0.5 yeah. speed. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm listening to a podcast, my watch will like bump against something. Oh, yes. And I'm like. Oh my God! Why are they talking so, so fast? fast? Does yours do that? Yeah, like I thought it was on drugs or something. The first time I was like, Oh my God! Was there something in my drink? Like I literally was freaking out because I had didn't even know you could do that the first time it happened. Oh to me. yeah, I know. and I was like, and my heart like then I started like having anxiety and my heart started racing. I got really scared yeah. that something had happened to me or I'd taken like accidentally taken some oh, kind man, of medication. That's so funny. Yeah, it was just me bumped the wrong button. So You're yeah. Stupid. Thanks a lot, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Why do they put that on your watch? We don't need that. I, know. I turned my podcast off my watch. It doesn't come up because I kept bumping it and stopping it and and re, like doing stuff yeah. to it. So I it doesn't show up on my watch anymore. Oh, I should do that. Okay. Malala Yousafzai was born on July 12th, 1997 in Mingora, Pakistan. Mm-hmm. She is the daughter of Zaudin and Torpike Tupike. Tupaka, Tupike. Tupac. <laughs> Yusuf Sai. I have this all like phonetic- phonetically yeah, written out. I have a bunch on mine too. And has two younger brothers. Have you ever heard of Malala? No. Um, Not at that a I very know. young age, Malala developed a thirst for knowledge. For years, her father, a passionate education advocate himself, ran a school in the city, and school was a big part of Malala's family. She later wrote that her father told her stories about how she would toddle into classes even before she could talk and acted as if she were the teacher. Aww. And he also, like, even though she was a girl, she wanted him to get the education that, like, a boy would hmm. in Pakistan. Or wanted her to have not just the education, but all the rights that a boy would have. Imagine that. Imagine. What? What does she think? She's special or I know. something? <laughs> what is he thinking? Such a snowflake. Yeah. In 2007, when Malala was 10 years old, Swat Valley, which is where they lived, once a vacation destination for tourists, was invaded by the Taliban. The Taliban began to control the Swat Valley and quickly became the dominant socio-political force throughout much of the northwestern Pakistan. The Taliban began imposing strict Islamic law and girls were banned from attending school. Cultural activities like dancing and watching television were prohibited and women were banned from the, any active role in society, and suicide bombings were widespread. So it totally <sighs> turned their lives upside down. I can't even imagine, like, being afraid of a suicide bomber. Like, that just is, it's so outrageous yeah, to me. I know. And the fact that somebody dealt with that in their normal everyday life just freaks me out. Like, I don't understand it. I know, and how lucky we are that we don't have to. Yeah, I mean, I feel like sometimes our country is really jacked up but at other times i am thankful for the things we have right yeah. you know there are there are some things to be thankful for by the end of 2008 the taliban had destroyed around 400 schools malala and her family fled the region for their safety but they returned when tensions and violence eased determined to go to school and with a firm belief in her right to an education malala stood up to the taliban on september 1st 2008 when she was just 10 years, 11 years old. Her father took her to a local press club to protest the school's closing. To protest. I said that weird, didn't I? No, but it's like, so her dad took her to do this? Wasn't he afraid that she was going to be... Yeah, but I think that they just... 
you know, they were afraid. I mean, they were afraid of being killed. Both of them were. But okay, but he just took her because yeah, he they, to show they knew her. that they that had to stand sense. up for what they wanted, or oh, else it they'd... scares me so much. Oh, I know. And she gave her first speech. Oh wow! How, How old dare... was she? Eleven. Oh my goodness! How dare the Taliban take away my basic right to education? That was her what her speech was about. Mm. Her speech was publicized throughout Pakistan. Toward the end of 2008, the Taliban announced that all girls' schools in SWAT would be shut down on January 15, 2009. In early 2009, Malala started to blog anonymously on the Urdu language site of the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC. She wrote about life in the SWAT Valley under Taliban rule and about her desire to go to school using the name... I don't know how to say this. G-U-L. Gul. G-U-L. I would say Makai. Gul. She described being forced to stay at home, and she questioned the motives of the Taliban. She wrote 35 entries from January through the beginning of March of that year that were also translated into English. In her first BBC blog entry titled, I Am Afraid, she described her fear of a full-blown war in her beautiful Swat Valley and her nightmares about being afraid to go to school because of the Taliban. So I'm going to read two of her... Um, blog post. They're pretty oh, short. Cool. I am afraid. January 3rd, 2009. I had a terrible dream yesterday with military helicopters and the Taliban. I have had such dreams since the launch of the military operation in SWAT. I was afraid going to school because the Taliban had issued an edit. Is it edit? An edit? Like E D I T? E D I C T. Edit. Oh. I don't know, Rose. No, I feel like I know how to say Hold it, but I'm I can't say it. I'm going to look it up, and I'm going to cut this because I don't want to sound like a okay. moron. I have a really I great... I meant to look it up. I have a really... I found a really great um, thing here. Hold on. For looking up. Eat it. Eat it. Okay. What does it mean? A proclamation. Proclamation. Proclamation having the force of law. Okay. Order, command. Okay. Eat it. Is that what she said? Okay. Um... Eat it! Eat it! <laughs> I was afraid going to school because the Taliban had issues had issued an edict banning all girls from attending schools. Only 11 students attended the class out of 27. The number decreased because of the Taliban's edict. <laughs> I'm having so much trouble saying that word. It's kind of a weird word. I it mean, is. I, I mean, with an accent, it probably sounds better. I've heard it you know before, I mean? but I've never said it. On my way from school to home, I heard a man saying, I will kill you. I hastened my pace. To my utter relief, he was talking on his mobile and must have been threatening someone else over the phone. Um, Her next blog post was, I may not go to school again, January 14th, 2009. Mm -hmm. I was in a bad mood while going to school because winter vacations are starting from tomorrow. The principal announced the vacations but did not mention the date that school was to reopen. The girls were not excited about vacations because they knew if the Taliban implemented their edict, banning girls' education, they would not be able to come to school again. I am of the view that the school will one day reopen, but while leaving, I looked at the buildings as if I would not come here again. Aww. Isn't that horrible? God, I hated school. And you think people like that you were, were right. killing to go to school or dying to go to school. And I was like... You know, because I didn't appreciate it. I didn't and care. And so many kids in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, they have no idea it that for it's, yeah. Oh yeah. my God! I mean, I did absolutely. Oh, I'm. I did too. Because, I just stopped yeah. going one day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> me too. Kind of. <laughs> I'm too um, smart for all these dumb people. 
That's basically how I felt. <laughs> I um, yeah, it's just this girl is willing to lay her life on the line. I just can't. <sighs> just for to go to school. I mean, that's insane for a young teenager. You know. Well, she sees the value of an education, like right, especially for a woman because yeah. they're treated so poorly there. And I just, I can't even imagine. I don't know. It just breaks. And my she's heart. what. 11, 11 or 12 yeah. at this point, and right. she's writing that? I mean, that's insane. Yeah, I couldn't have written that when I was 19. No, <laughs> I, I probably couldn't write that now. I'd have been like, I, like, I wouldn't have had any, yeah, I would have been like, eh, my dad's making me come here. I just want to stay home. <laughs> I don't want to go to school. Play on my phone. Yeah, no. In February of 2009, the Taliban agreed to ceasefire and lifted restrictions on girls, allowing them to go back to school on the condition that they were burqas. So this was like 15 days later. That's how long school is out. I just like, what? what is it? I guess the Taliban, they are against women just being educated. Is that what They're it is? They're women doing anything at all. Right. They want power so that they can control them. Right. So just it's like, like religious. Right. Okay. You know, a lot of religions. Yeah. It's, they don't want to educate them because they, that's why a lot of religions well, not a lot, but some religious people like homeschool their kids. Right. No, because I mean, it makes sense. if they don't show them what's going on in the world, then they can control them, yeah. you know? So, however, the Pakistan's war with the Taliban was fast approaching. And on May 5th, 2009, Malala and her family were forced to leave her home and seek safety hundreds of miles away. Mm. On her return, after weeks of being away from SWAT, Malala once again used the media and continued her public campaign for her right to go to school. Her voice grew louder, and over the course of the next three years, she and her father became known throughout Pakistan for their determination to give Pakistani girls access to a free quality education. In 2009, the New York Times reporter Adam Ellick worked with Malala to make a documentary, Class Dismissed, a 13-minute piece about the school shutdown. Ellick made a second film with her titled A Schoolgirl's Odyssey. The New York Times posted both films on their website in 2009, that summer, she met with the U.S. Special Envoy. Now I'm questioning every word. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, yeah. To Af- Afghanistan and Pakistan, Richard Holbrook, and asked him to help with her effort to protect the education of girls in Pakistan. Her activism resulted in a nomination for the International Children's Peace Prize in 2011. Wow. That same year, she was awarded Pakistan's National Youth Peace Prize. Wow. But not everyone supported and welcomed her campaign to bring about change in SWAT. On October 9, 2012, when she was just 15 years old, she was on a bus heading home from school. As she sat talking with her friends about schoolwork, two members of the Taliban stopped the bus One of the men got on the bus, asked for Malala by name, and fired three shots at her. One of the bullets entered and exited her head and lodged in her shoulder. She was seriously wounded. That same day, she was airlifted to a Pakistani military hospital in Peshawar War, and four days later to an intensive care unit in Birmingham, England, for surgery. Oh, my God. When she was in the United Kingdom, Malala was taken out of a medically induced coma, though she would require multiple surgeries, including repair of a facial nerve to fix the paralyzed left side of her face. She had suffered no major brain damage. Oh, my God. She was shot in the head. So if it went through her shoulder, it's like probably just like through her face kind of thing, maybe? Yeah, like through. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, my God. See, I think there's a higher power there. 
Yeah, you know like I mean? stepping in. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. The incident elicited protests and her cause was taken up around the world, including by the UN Special Envoy for Global Education, Gordon Brown, who introduced a petition that called for all children around the world to be back in school by 2015. That petition led to the ratification of Pakistan's first right to education bill. In December 2012, Pakistani president, I'm not even going to attempt to say his name, the Pakistani president in 2012. (laughs) (laughs) I can't just the Pakistani president. I don't want to totally screw it up. Announced the launch of a $10 million education fund in Malala's honor. About the same time, the Malala Fund was established by the Vital Voices Global Partnership to support education for all girls around the world. Wow. In 2013, after weeks of treatment and therapy, Malala was able to begin attending school in Birmingham. For the first time since being shot, she made a public appearance on July 12th. 2013, her 16th birthday. Oh, I was getting ready to say July 12th. That was when she was born. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're listening. Yeah. Good job. I, I know. It's like, it's like I'm growing up. <laughs> and addressed an audience of 500 at the United wow. Nations in New York City. Among her many awards in 2013, she won the United Nations Human Rights Prize. She was named one of Time Magazine's most influential people in 2013 and appeared on one of seven covers that were printed for that issue. Later that year, she published her first book, an autobiography entitled I Am Malala, The Girl Who Stood Up for Education and Was Shot by the Taliban, which I want to read. Yeah, that sounds like a good book. In 2014, through the Malala Fund, the organization she co-founded with her father, she traveled to the Jordan to meet Syrian refugees, to Kenya to meet young female students, and finally to northern Nigeria for her 17th birthday. In Nigeria, she spoke out in support of the abducted girls who were kidnapped earlier that year by the Boko Haram, a terrorist group which, like the Taliban, tries to stop girls from going to school. Do you remember that when all those girls were kidnapped? Vaguely. They, I believe they all, they were freed, but I vaguely. God knows what happened to them when they were abducted. Abducted. In 2014, she was named a Nobel Peace Prize winner. At age 17, wow. she became the youngest person to receive this prize. Wow. 17. That's I'm surprised so she didn't cool. win it earlier. Yeah, me too. Accepting the award, Malala reaffirmed that this award is not just for me. It is for those forgotten children who want education. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Wow. In July 2015, with support from the Malala Fund, she opened a girls' school in Lebanon for refugees from the Syrian civil war. Today, the Malala Fund has become an organization that, through education, empowers girls to achieve their potential and become confident and strong leaders in their own countries. Funding education projects in six countries and working with international leaders, the Malala Fund joins with local partners to invest in innovative solutions on the ground and advocates globally for quality secondary education for all girls. So she's, like, working her ass off. Wow. Currently residing in Birmingham, Malala is an active proponent of education as a fundamental social and economic right. Through the Malala Fund and with her own voice, she remains a staunch advocate for the power of education and for girls to become agents of change in their communities. Isn't that awesome? That is really amazing. I mean, I followed um, one of the podcasts I listened to. It was either The Daily. I think it was The Daily. They, or is it NPR? I don't remember. I, I listen to two podcasts every day. 
And then I listen to my other ones that come out weekly. I listen to The Daily and I listen to Up First with NPR. And I love both of those. And one of them during the pandemic had a story about a girl, um, very similar. And she was like in hiding. And then she had, she refused, like her father, she had to marry somebody in the Taliban. Oh, God. And she like ran away. Yeah. And so they were going to kill her family. And it was just like this whole long thing. And she would like be able to call them. But there was a couple times where she just like I'd hang up in the middle of the call because, yeah. I mean, it. It was very, and I was listening That's to it so like scary. during the pandemic when I was on my walks, and I was like, like just on the edge, just yeah, right. like listening to it. But it was very similar to her story. I mean, in that she just wanted to go to school. One of the things I read about her was one thing she said was, "I can't believe people take peace for granted." Yeah. Like, and it's true. I mean, we don't. You yeah, know, we've never experienced that, so we don't even think about it. But I know we think that we're not at peace. I mean, we aren't in in every way that we should be or could be, but. Comparatively speaking, right. we're at peace, yeah. you know, I mean, to other countries like that. And it's it's sad. And yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine living like that. I can't it's either. so horrible. But she's amazing for doing that. I mean, yeah, man, 11 years old and standing up against the Taliban, who's like the scariest fucking. Yeah, I might have to do Christina Aguilera's song fighter to her. Um, <laughs> to her. Yeah. Um, to her. That's actually a good one. Real. Yeah. I'm a survivor. Yeah. Something. I'm a fighter. Yeah, oh, so that's a different song. No, the Christina Aguilera fighter isn't that? Isn't I don't that? know that song. I don't know her. Make sing me it for that me. Much stronger. Oh, that's the same song I was singing. Yeah. Oh, was it? Oh, hmm. I don't know. Come on. Anyway, so yeah, so she'll definitely get that song. But that's um, that's amazing for such a young age to have that courage. I know. Wow. wow. And you can tell like she got it from her dad. You know. I mean, I just chased boys around the playground. That's all I did at that age. I'm sure you oh, just chased idiot. them. Yeah, that's all I did. Mm-hmm. I went to a Catholic mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a little break, make a cocktail, have some din-dins, and we'll be back in a minute. Peace out. Bye-bye. We're back. We just made another, I just mixed us another cocktail, and I just got to tell you guys, these just are getting better and better. Oh my God, they're so good. They're not so great with Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> PSA. <laughs> but it's so good. Oh my God, it's so good. Okay. So oh my t- God, and the whipped cream. I know, the whipped cream with ah. the fresh nutmeg. Mm. So today, I Rose. Wait, I have to make an announcement. Oh, okay. I wanted to let you all know that today Lynn was um, promoted to VP of social media. <laughs> VP of social media. <laughs> She's yes. done a, such a good job that oh, I promoted oh, her. Round of applause, round of applause, round of applause. She was director, so it's a big pay increase. And yeah, a nice pay increase. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Just got to stay in that low tax bracket that I've always been in. <laughs> Don't worry. Your pay is zero dollars. <laughs> Thank you for the promotion, ma'am. Thank you for the promotion. All right. All right. So today I am going to speak about Leonardo Canciulli. Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> no, Leonardo, not Leonardo. Oh. Canciulli. Canciulli? So as most of you know. I know Rose knows. My grandmother was from Italy, and she never really learned to speak English. So her English was very broken, and, like, friends would come over, and they would say, don't leave me in the room alone with her, because I have no idea what she's saying to me. <laughs> it's like Joey's and, grandma from Friends. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, very strong accent, very, very, very superstitious, which is very common in um, Italian families and people. Um, and so this story reminded me a lot of not – I mean <laughs> – it doesn't remind me of my grandmother, but the, the names of the towns and like, you know. Yeah. So I'm going to do my best to do all my pronunciations correctly. Sorry. 
Was that you? Yeah, I just pushed the <laughs> thing. I thought it was me. I was like, what did I hit? Okay, I'm going to do my best to pronounce everything correctly. You're Italian, um, so I I know, I will try. I did type it out perfection. phonetically on my story, so... You shouldn't need to do that. You're Italian. I never learned to speak Italian. through you. Yes, I know. <laughs> so, Leonardo Canciulli was born in Montella di Avino in 1893. Oh, my God. I almost spit my drink out. <laughs> she suffered a very, very unhappy childhood. Her maternal grandparents were looking for suitors for Leonardo's mother, Emilia Dinolfi, that was her mother's name. Uh, they were looking for suitors for her. But one day while Emilia was walking home, she was attacked and raped by a drunk man whom she encountered on the street. His name was Mariano Canciulli. Wait. Just let okay. me keep going. <laughs> At this point in her life, Leonardo, I mean, um, Emilia, sorry, had no idea what had really happened. She had no sexual education whatsoever. But when her parents learned that she was pregnant, they bought, they brought Mariano and his parents to their home and told Mariano he would have to marry Amelia since he got her pregnant. Yeah. Oh, my God. Even though he raped her. Oh, my God. How old was she? You know? Mm, no, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but they were, I mean, she was probably fairly young because it was, it was 18, you know, it was, you know, 1892, and they were looking for suitors for her. So she was probably in her late teens at this point. Because her husband was a drunk and could not keep a job, Amelia raised Leonardo in a very poverty-stricken area during the late 19th and early 20th century in Italy. Italy was very poor at this time. Most of the country was. When Leonardo was a toddler, Mariano died. Amelia remarried, but that didn't help improve their financial situation, oh. unfortunately. Was he at least nice? Um... I don't know. They, I don't, she didn't really talk about him very much. Being the product of rape, Leonardo was emotionally abused by her mother, which caused Leonardo to have a lot of nervous and depressive behaviors. Oh, my God. While she was very young, she tried to kill herself on two separate occasions. I just can't That's even imagine. so awful, Lynn. It's so bad. In 1914, at the age of 21, going against the wishes of her parents, who had picked a wealthy suitor for her, Leonardo married a registry office clerk. Raffaele Pensarde. <laughs> Raffaele Pensarde. I'm only <laughs> laughing because of your face. I know. You I'm trying face. so hard. <laughs> you look so proud of yourself. <laughs> he was also considerably older than her. Uh, she would claim throughout her life that her mother cursed her and her husband on this occasion because she had lined her up with a Ooh. wealthy suitor. And this is very common to think this um, in Italy. When the notion of placing a curse on someone might sound why it might sound preposterous, preposterous, preposterous. <laughs> Her life was full of misery and pain from that point on. Oh, my God. So she's like, I think my mom really did it. So in 1914, Leonardo married Raffaella Pensardi, the clerk at the registry office, and they went and they went to live in Lorano uh, in Alta El Pirna, Alta El Pirna in 1921. The couple moved to Pansardi's native town of Lara, currently called Pozzina. Easy with the whipped cream. <laughs> so they moved to a town called Lara, and um, which is currently called Pozzina. The town okay. is now okay. After a se after settle settling in Lara, Leonardo became tired of being poor and wanted to provide for her children. She was stealing from her employer and was caught. 
Oh, no. She was sentenced and imprisoned for fraud in 1927. When she was released from jail, the couple moved to La Cedona, <laughs> which is presently is called Aveno, which was not far from her childhood home. Leonardo felt like she had a fresh start and tried to rebuild her life all over again. On July 23, 1930, the Erpenia earthquake struck. It would later, later be categorized as one of the most destructive earthquakes in Italian history. The couple was one of thousands of families who lost their home in the disaster. Oh, no. So another bout of bad luck. She was cursed. Feeling as though she'd never get any relief from her mother's curse, she went to see a fortune teller, desperate for some insight. The fortune teller, a traveling Romani woman, did nothing to curb her fears. You want to know what she said, Rose? <laughs> You're going to die. She said, in your right hand, I see prison. And in your left hand, I see a criminal asylum. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so Leonardo and Raffaele eventually settled in Correccio, where she set up her own business, a soap shop. Feeling a bit more confident, she went to see another fortune teller and was told that none of her offspring would, offspring would survive. They all would die. Oh, my gosh. Stop going to see fortune tellers. <laughs> right? She's like hoping for some good news. Yeah. Leonardo endured 17 pregnancies during her marriage. Holy shit. Three ended in miscarriage. She lost 10 more children before they became adults. So oh, she my God. Four children survive. She lost 10 Ten children, children before they were adults. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? I mean, how are they dying? Was she killing them? It, they, you know, they don't say. I mean, I did, she wrote a memoir, so I would like to read that eventually. Um, maybe she talks about how they died, but yeah. it, nothing I found online talks about she how she died. Them? No, I don't think you so. Don't think so? Okay. No, because um, so you'll see. Um, as a result of losing all those children, she was a very, very protective parent of her four remaining children. Like, I bet. You think? Well, so yeah. my grandmother was insanely protective of my dad. And I mean, it's just very, I think it's, to me, that seems normal that she was insanely protective yeah, because right. I think all Italian parents are like, you know, like right up in your business yeah. like all the time. Um, I mean, I could be wrong, but she was that way. And so was my grandmother. Her life was finally starting to seem normal. She had friends. Her soap business was successful. And people described her as kind and loving and a great mother. Aww. So she was like having oh, like. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That she was a good mom. She or was a great mom, to according be. to like what the people said in the town. Since her youth, she had been interested in palm reading and fortune telling. And it only increased after she became a mother. When World War II broke out. <laughs> good job. I did it. I did it. I have any that. trouble that time. <laughs> and her oldest son came to her and told her he was going to join the Italian army. Leonardo was devastated. I bet. And very much against this decision. She worshipped her oldest son. I mean, as you can imagine. I mean, he's, you know, he's he survived. He's and a survivor. He's is a survivor. And she was terrified he would die in the war. After doing some research in her books on palm reading and fortune telling, she thought the only way she could guarantee his safety would be to perform human sacrifices. Oh, my God. No. That's what she thought. Leonardo. I'm a sip of my drink. Don't do it, girl. Mm. God, that's a good drink. So she struggled to figure out how she could find someone to sacrifice Rose, thus guaranteeing her son's life. Her husband. At, at this time, <laughs> she had started to do some fortune telling herself. She paid close attention to her clients in their weak areas. Oh, my God. No. She decided who her first victim would be. Dun, 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 dun. A local spinster woman named Fotsina Sete. No, sorry. Fotsina 
Seti. 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 Yeah, Seti. You sure? Oh, my God. She wanted nothing more in her life than to have a husband, Fotsina. Um, she had been going to Leonardo to have her fortune read to determine if there was ever going to be love in her life. Oh, my God. She's going to kill That's her because wanted. nobody's going to notice she's gone. Rose, can you just keep the the gallery over there quiet? I'm trying to do a podcast. <laughs> Not sure what the fuck you're doing over there, but I'm trying to do a podcast. She's getting drunk. Okay. With Leonardo invited Sete to her home with the promise of a husband who was waiting for her in Pola, Italy. Leonardo convinced Sete to tell no one about the arrangement mm-hmm. for fear of curses. Now, this is where my nanny comes in. She would say, don't tell nobody your business because they throw a chinkasa on you. That's what she'd say. Oh, really? That's yeah. a curse? So my grandmother would, oh, a jinx. Oh, a jinx, a jinx. on you? A well, chinkasa. That's that what she called it, a chinkasa. Italian Italians very much believe in, well... My grandmother and my great grandmother and all they all believed in jinxes. You don't tell nobody your business. You just yeah. And if somebody tries to get your business, you mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean it's easy to believe. Of course, you know, this woman believed her. So Leonardo instructed her to write letters to her family members telling them that she would be visiting a man abroad and could and she would mail the letters once she got to Pola. On the day of her departure, Sete came to uh, visit Leonardo one last time. Leonardo offered her a glass of drugged wine. She killed her with an axe, dragged her body into the closet. Then she cut her into nine parts, gathering the blood into a basin. In the closet? She killed her? She can't stay in the closet. Why did she do that? In her memoir titled An Embittered Soul's Confession, that's the one I want to read, Leonardo described what happened next in her official statement. Okay. So this is from her memoir. I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda. Oh, my God. She's going to cook it? What's... <laughs> Sorry. I'm getting, ready to, I'm getting ready to hit you on the head. <laughs> Which I had bought to make soap and stirred the whole mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied into a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it had congoagulated. Congu- <laughs> I practice this word three times because I know what it is. Can get can go. Oh my god! <laughs> I'd help you, but I won't say it right either. Coagulated. Coagulated. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I waited until it had co- coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine. <gasps> Kneading all the ingredients together, I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit. Oh, my God. Though Giuseppe and I ate them, too. She ate them? She and her son. In the blood? Oh, it was cooked into a cake. Nobody knew it was blood. Oh, my God. That's so disgusting. <laughs> Leonardo took Sete's life savings, which was 30,000 lira, which in, this, in 2020, I tried so hard to find a conversion rate myself and then <laughs> I went to another I was looking at a couple different pages making the story and the, and I had spent a good 15 minutes trying to get the conversion and then the, one of the tabs I had opened the next sentence said the equivalent of and it told me after oh, I, really? looked, <laughs> I hate that I've done that before <laughs> so 30,000 lira at this time was equivalent of 1794 $17.94 when adjusted for in for 2020 uh, the inflation would have been about thirty three hundred dollars. 
What the fuck? $332. That's all yeah. she had? Yeah. That, that was her life savings. But oh, my it was, God. She was... But Italy was super poor then around World War II. That's World like War II. super poor. World War II. Could you imagine just having $300? I know. It was her life savings. Um, so she she took the money as payment for setting Sete up with a husband. <laughs> so she should get payment for that? She got payment for it. That was her payment. So. Oh, that's... Even though she's not alive anymore. Even but... though she didn't set her up with a husband yeah, she and she did... killed her. Yeah. Her second victim's name was Francesca Sauvé. Like Sete, she was a middle-aged woman who was promised her dream job of working with children. Leonardo told her that she had found her a job at a school for girls in Picenza, uh, which is now in the Picenza area, which is northern Italy now. Like the first victim, Sauvé asked was asked to correspond with friends, but was told to wait until she arrived in the new city to mail the letters. She, too, came to meet Leonardo one last time before her departure, drank the drug wine, and was murdered with an axe. What'd she make this time? Pie? Her body underwent the same treatment as Sete's, and Leonardo received 3,000 lira from the death of her second victim, which was like nothing. The murder was said to have occurred on September 5th, 1940. Her third victim would be her last one, Virginia Cassiapo, Cassiapo, a former soprano singer said to have sung at La Scala for for her, Leonardo claimed to have found her work as a secretary for a mysterious impresario. Um, an impresario is a person who organizes and finances uh, concert plays and operas and stuff. Oh, okay. So in, uh, in this, she found a, a job working for him as a secretary in Florence. As with the other two women, she was told not to tell a single person where she was going, and Virginia agreed. And on September 30th, 1940, came for a last visit with Leonardo. The pattern to the murder was exactly the same as the first two, according to Leonardo's statement. She said she ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white, and this one was apparently very heavy. She was very overweight. Yeah. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne, and after a long time on the boil, I was able to make most the most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. <laughs> the cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. She has some mental issues. So from Capaccio, Leonardo reportedly received 500, I'm sorry, 50,000 lira and assorted jewelries. Jewels. Although Leonardo thought she had committed the perfect murders, she was mistaken, Rose. Someone told their friends before they left. Unlike her first two victims, who had very few concerned relatives, Capaccio uh, had a very worried sister-in-law. She didn't believe mm-hmm. Capaccio's letters detailing her quick departure and had, in fact, seen her entering Leonardo's home the night she had, oh, really? quote-unquote, left. Oh. Almost immediately, she reported her sister's disappearance to the Reggiano Emilia Police, who quickly investigated Leonardo. Leonardo was subsequently arrested. Initially... She vehemently denied it. She was like, no, I did not do this. Um, However, while they were investigating, they were like, oh, it must be the son. So then Giuseppe was implicated for Capaccio's murder. And so she gave a full confession in 1946. She has some good in her. Yeah, because her kids were her world. So her trial was conducted in Reggio Emilia. Leonardo's trial lasted only a few days. She showed no remorse. Through the throughout the trial, her action, she actually this is she actually corrected the official account of what happened. 
Apparently, when the prosecutor was telling a version of what Leonardo had done to her victims, she interjected. She made sure the details were all correct regarding her sacrifices. She gripped the witness stand rail, oddly delicate hands, and calmly set the prosecutor straight on certain details. Her deep-set, dark eyes gleamed with wild inner pride as she concluded, that's a... That's a quote. Um, I give the copper ladle, which I used to skim the fat off the kettles, to my country, which was so badly in need of metal during the last few days of the war. So during the war, everybody was like gathering metal, like pots and pans and everything. And, and they were burning it down and like selling the metal or making uh, making guns or ammunition. I don't know what they were, but people were giving metal yeah, to the government. Right. And she gave over her bloody. Yeah, she gave all of her stuff. Yeah. She was found guilty of her crimes and granted a 33 year sentence. That's that, it for three Does that ring murders? a bell? No. You don't think that rings a bell? Let me go back. When she went to her first, um, when she went to the first palm reading and the woman told her she would have, um, on your right hand, I see prison. On your left hand, I see a criminal asylum. She was scheduled. She was, she was guaranteed a 33 year sentence. So it was like in prison. So that's what the Romani woman had told, Romani woman had told her that she was going to jail. The Romani woman her prophecy, remember. Well, what about the asylum? She oh, the Romani woman, the Romani, the Romani woman, fortune teller's prophecy. She said thirty years in a prison, prison, and three years in a criminal oh, asylum. Okay. Leonardo died. <laughs> so yeah, so that she had predicted that. Oh okay. Leonardo died of cerebral cerebral apoplexy, apoplexy, which I think is a stroke, <clears throat> in the women's criminal asylum in Pozzole. On October 15th, 1970. That wasn't that long ago, Rose. <laughs> so how long was she in there? Much of the evidence from the case, including the pot in which the victims were boiled, are on display in the Criminological Museum in Rome. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Let's go. So she died in 1970. <laughs> Her trial was in um, 1946. Oh, so, so she was in jail for a while. She was in jail for a while, yeah. Wow, that's so weird that her, the um, palm reader... Predict the whole thing. Then, well, I mean, they, she also had a fortune teller tell her that none of her kids were going to live, and most of them didn't. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and they didn't talk at all about her kids or her husband throughout any of the stories. Like her second husband. husband. She probably killed him. I mean, her. I mean, her husband. No, because she only got married once. The mother got married twice. Yeah. I, no. It. I mean, it's so. There's like. The couple of things I listened to talked about how, like, he just kind of made his way out of the picture, like, slowly. Yeah, <laughs> like I bet. The, he was like, like the Homer Simpson. They were slowly backs into the bushes, <laughs> yeah. that meme. <laughs> He's like, oh, you're crazy. I mean, yeah. she must have been crazy. No, she definitely had mental mental health issues. Um, and she liked a lot of black magic and that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. it was very popular. Like, in Italian culture very much believed in, you know, the fortune telling. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, putting a jinx on somebody and cursing them. And it seemed like so, they were right. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's kind of nuts. But, yeah, when I read this, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's nuts. It's crazy that she was so, like— I listened to a couple podcasts about it, too. One podcast, like, they dug deep, deep, deep and, like, oh, did really? two full episodes on it. Wow. Um, yeah, it was a lot of information. But, yeah, I mean, she's—and uh, they talked a lot about how, like, her mental health was just— I mean, her mother treated her like shit. And I mean, not that it's okay, but her mother was forced to marry this man who raped her. Yeah. I mean, and give birth to a child. Trauma. Yeah. She just definitely had a really shitty life. I mean, she tried to kill herself twice when she was a teenager. Yeah, right. I mean, before she was a teenager, yeah. I think. That's really sad. So. And who knows what else was going on. That is a story a story of Leonardo Canciulli. 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 I like how you 
make your face when you say those Control. those words. <laughs> so yeah, mine wasn't super long this time, but I I, I just it was. A, I thought it was a long. riveting story. I mean, it's like I mean I don't tell it riveting, but I think it's I think it's a great. I told my dad about it. I was like, oh, I'm doing a story about a woman from Italy who killed people and made them into stuff. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Why would you even read about that? And I was like, no, there's a big market. People like to hear these stories. Well, that's just disgusting. <laughs> I know. And that's one of the reasons I didn't tell my coworkers about. I just I ended up telling just two. But one I know might be interested. Uh-huh. But the other ones will be like, why would I ever want to like watch some or listen to something like that yeah well i mean there's there's people that really enjoy listening to true crime and it's kind of like you know you see the memes too where it's like you know you know the the average white woman like having massive anxiety and this and that and then she goes to bed and listens to like true crime podcasts (laughs) to go to sleep that's us (laughs) exactly so it's like you know i can't listen to something super gory right before i go to bed but oh no um, i can't either but it's I don't know. It's just an interesting story. I mean, it just shows it how was. it was good. Well, it also shows how women, you know, women are always made out to be like, you know, oh, you know, back, especially back in this time, like frail and, you know, yeah. not. This one was crazy. Anything but frail. She was crazy and she was methodical. Yeah, right. I mean, she had everything, you know. You well, know. I think a lot of times if they weren't you know, frail and, and obedient, then they were just, you know, well, what you we would say, like, oh, she has ADHD or something. Uh-huh. But they've been so abused because of their, the way they behave, their behavior. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't they act out. They turn into, like, monsters. Right. Well, know? they couldn't act out. They couldn't speak out. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that her mother had to marry her rapist. Ew. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, and then they talked about how on the, the like, I wasn't going to get into all that. But, like, on the wedding night, he raped her again. Oh, and I'm it's sure just he like, raped her all the time. It's like... Oh my god! And what god. did he probably do to hurt to the little girl? Oh, he died before she was a toddler. Oh, when she was okay. a toddler, he died. Oh, good. That that yeah, I did. I mean, I was I was like, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> like, imagine what he would have done to her. I know. Well, I mean, he's just such a well. He was a total drunk, but yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, I just can't. So speaking of watching things before you go to bed, we are watching um, this show called. Oh my god, what the hell is it called? The something about it's about a wrestler and he has a bunch of cats. What? Um, hold on. The it's, Real Life of Cats or something like that? Is that that old one, that old documentary that came out right before the pandemic? No, this came, this just came out. I Have you watched, um, have you watched uh, White Lotus no, on HBO? Thing? It's so good. Is it? I should That's watch it. That's a good it. one. We have HBO right now. Um, Dangerous Breed, Crime, Cons, and Cats. It is crazy. You need to watch it. It's on, uh, Peacock, I think. And it's about this, like, wrestler, this pro wrestler who's, this guy starts, like, um, Doing a documentary on him, like this amateur film producer or whatever. Yeah. So he starts like following this guy to do like a documentary, kind of like Tiger King. Uh-huh. And this was back in like 2009 or 2010, somewhere around there. And so he's like following this guy's married. And then suddenly there's another girl involved in their marriage. Ew. And then all this stuff comes out about them like being raped and him like holding them hostage and stuff and it turns out that he's like a monster and then he has like all these cats in his house like 50 to 100 cats is what Uh, they said they're like all over the place like regular domestic cats not like big cats they're persian some kind of persian cat oh my god so they're really fluffy yeah Uh. and he has this cat all the time like to the grocery store and 
everywhere. Oh, he's no. Like, and he's like throwing up in the air. He's like, oh, they like this. And uh, it's like so crazy. Oh, my God. Cats are neurotic. And then they don't they like f- that. Then like <laughs> as time goes on, um, he's like dating this girl. He's like super abusive. And it gets actually gets really sad. I'm, there's three episodes. I'm on the second. I just finished the second one. And he um, is dating this girl. And then she like disappears. And they think he killed her. <gasps> And so that's kind of where the documentary girl goes. Like, oh my god! Yeah, so I think she's still missing, but I haven't watched the third episode. Uh, you have to watch it; it's crazy. No, I'll watch it. I'll definitely it's watch like it. It's like Tiger King crazy. I'm in the process of watching um, White Lotus. The new episode came out, and I haven't been able to watch it because I was working on my story this week. So it's very good. Yeah, my story was short. That's why I actually got to watch some TV. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I feel like I should be working on my story, but I don't you know, have anything well, I, else to. I mean, I had. I like I went through this one and I I mean, like I felt like I could have delved in and had more details and stuff, but I, details and stuff. But I felt like I mean, I covered the story. I really yeah, didn't right. want to get into more yeah. nitty gritty. I, <clears throat> no I tried to find more info on her, but I couldn't. And I wasn't like going to have time to like read her book or anything. Yeah, I know. I feel like we should plan ahead and like read the books and stuff. But yeah, when I don't know. Do that? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to read. <laughs> I, I can read. Hop on pop. So. <laughs> Make sure you guys follow us on No Ordinary Women Pod on Instagram and Facebook and No Ord, O-R-D, excuse me, No Ord, O-R-D, Women Pod on Twitter. Share, like, follow, do all that fun stuff. We have how many many um, followers we have on Facebook right now, Rose? Over 300. Over 300. Over 300. Yeah. I don't know how many we have on Instagram. Um. I think we only have like 40 on Instagram. Um, we need more Instagram followers. Yeah, we do. Follow us on Insta, you guys. Follow us on the Insta. Let's see. I'm going to look real quick. We only have 40. That's some bullshit. Follow us, you guys. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram. Share, share, share. So we will see you next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Ta-ta for now. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.